Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. Here's your host, Mark Seelis. We want to create great workplaces for all by 2030. It's going to happen. We're going to hit the accelerator button and move forward and see things differently in terms of the way we treat each other. Doesn't mean it's not going to be bumpy, but I believe that the time is now. When I think about people who are right now 10 to 12 years old and the workplace that they're going to enter, that's what 2030 is about for me. It's not about me. It's not really about you. It's about what can we create to create a change so that the work experience for people is equal and fair for everyone, where everybody can innovate and help grow the business. During the last 20 years, I have had the privilege to work with different projects all over the world. That has allowed me to experience a diversity of cultures and environments that I could have only dreamt of as a kid. It was clear to me from a very young age that the workplaces where we dedicated so many hours of our life were more than just locations to perform the expected tasks related to our roles. We heard in the introduction an edited audio from a presentation that Michael C. Bush, the CEO of Great Place to Work, did back in 2017 about the importance to create the future work, thinking not just about us, but the impact that this will have for future generations as well. It is in the moments like the ones we are living now where we have an excellent opportunity to look into how can we generate the needed transformation so we change the crisis we find ourselves in into a chance to create the future we wish. A big part of this responsibility has to be addressed not just to the leadership community but also to the boards and shareholders. They need to understand that to build a more resilient and robust future-proof companies, a new way of thinking has to be generated all the way from the top of the value chain. Our previous podcast was dedicated to the topic of the design of future cities and the circular bioeconomy. Today, we'll take a look at the future of our workplaces. A few months ago, before the COVID-19 crisis started in Europe, I had the pleasure to talk with Timo Lappi, the CEO and co-founder of the Finnish company focused on occupational healthcare, Healthy, and one of the primary advocates in Finland to create great places to work. For me, it was one of the interviews I have enjoyed the most and from which I learned a lot. This is Mark Siles speaking from our studios at home. Welcome back to our show. We are today at the offices. Well, offices, more than offices. It's how would you call this place, Timo? It's a well-being service station. So we are at the well-being station of Healthy in Helsinki with uh, Timo Lappi. Timo Lappi is a business lawyer, or how he calls himself, a lawyerpreneur, who started his career as an attorney, working mainly with technology companies, venture capital investments and acquisitions, until he started as a growth entrepreneur in the starting phase of the legal service company Fondia in 2006. Since 2013, Lappi has worked as the managing director of Healthy OU, a health and wellness firm which he founded that has brought a new culture and business model to the healthcare services market. 
He also serves as chairman or member of the board of numerous growth companies such as Helen, Investor, Jam Advisors and Administer. From listed companies, Lapi has gained experience by acting as chairman of several general meetings and secretaries of governments, advising the companies on issues of good governance, risk management, and securities market legislation. Besides of being the managing director, Lapi has continued his work as a lawyer as well. Lapi is regarded as a leading force and inspiring speaker for growth, entrepreneurship, new business model, and legal affairs. Thank you very much for being today with us. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the inviting me. Great, and it's great to have the chance to talk to you. I heard so much about you in Finland. But before we start the interview, let me ask you, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about changing things. I'm most passionate uh, in my working life about, uh, first of all, challenging traditional ways of working in different kinds of sectors. Mm -hmm. And then there's another aspect as well, also then building great places to work. Uh, because I think that, as we know, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, working uh, while we are adults and so on. I, I think that it's really an important issue uh, how we are feeling uh, during the time of our work. What do you mean, how we feeling at work? How would you describe that feeling? Uh, I would be uh, describing it so that uh, do we feel that we are trusted? Do we feel that we really belong to the team uh, who is doing something? And uh, do we have the feeling that we really want to give give all to that issue and so on? And give also something in our personalities in addition just to being a lawyer or doctor or some other, other kind of professional role. Mm -hmm. So bring the whole person to the, the workplace. How do you think that your passion is linked to what the world needs at the moment? I think that my, my passion is trying to create uh, workplaces that would be then uh, in line with the, the needs and uh, needs of younger generations and, and the, the future workers and, and, and so on. If we think about the situation at the moment, uh, I think that there is a really major change happening in the working life. First of all, the contact between the working place and work, it's not that close anymore. And the same applies to work and working hours. They are really flexible. And then as, as a third one, also the connection between work and then the traditional employment relationship that's also also loosening at the moment. So I think that uh, all of this is then targeting to uh, creating that kinds of organizations and workplaces where the future employees would really like to give their best. I'm curious to ask, uh, those are not the typical words you would hear from a lawyer, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, uh, what happened in there? You know, how did you go from Timo the lawyer into having such a strong uh, focus on uh, creating a human impact? I'm still, still wondering that myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, some, something happened because uh, I started my career uh, in the oldest law office in Finland. It's nowadays more than 120 years old. And I really liked the place. The work was interesting. And I, I also liked the organization there. there. There was a good corporate spirit and so on. I was really a company guy then. And I was in, in, in a lifetime career, I would say. I knew how my career would, would have been developing when I, I could have then become a partner and what I would have been earning and so on. And even... I could have been writing down in my calendar the, the date when I would be retiring. I had no intentions at all to change to any other working place. 
it was then in 2006 then I got a contact uh, from a person who had been then uh, establishing a, a new kind of business to the same industry where where I was working and so on and and then she was then searching for co-founders to take the project further and to commercialize it. And I still remember the summer when I was then really thinking hard. It was the division between Timo 1.0, the, the lawyer guy, and 2.0, the, the growth entrepreneur, whether I would be then having the courage really to give it all up in the workplace that I really liked a lot, and then hop to that startup and, and then start uh, creating something new and, and then see what uh, could be successful and what would be the, the outcome. I have three sons at home, but they were really little at, at that time. And I, I was then thinking that uh, when, when they are older or then even if they are children, how would I then be describing what, what I did uh, for work during my career and so on. And that was then the end, the end result of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I then really hopped uh, from the law office, well, I would say, without any parachute uh, to, to that startup. And it, it was really an interesting experience. Uh, you have also then been working for larger corporations and yeah, you are as an entrepreneur, you, you know the feeling, how it likes. Uh, it feels right. like when you take off the most well-known brand in the Finnish market uh, that was then held by the oldest law office, then when you lost all the supporting stuff like the IT department and secretary and it ended up as us then four co-founders in Fondia without laptops and then trying to see whether something would be then coming out of that. It energizes and it's it's really a powerful experience and it's it's not that easy, but if you are then able to work your way out of that, it's, it gives you a lot of trust in yourself. Uh, right from the beginning, we, we had then three objectives. First of all, to be a brave reformer of the market. So we didn't want to grow up as the traditional law offices were. And then secondly, we wanted to create a new business model to the market, combining the benefit of using then your own in-house counsel or then external advisors. So we had different billing models and so on as compared to the traditional ones and also then offering new kind of work for lawyers. Uh, but then as a third one, that was also then uh, playing a major role during the, the old, uh, whole Fondia trip of myself was that to create the best place to work in the industry. And then uh, we, we then even tested that uh, years later then uh, when Fondia was elected the third best place to work in Finland and, and also when we read the European list of greatest place to work there, there were there were no law offices above us and, and so we were then able to claim us uh, as the best place to work in the legal industry in Europe at that time. Uh, maybe then my passion went to new direction it was not about the legal topics anymore it, it was about uh, uh, building great workplaces and cultures and, and really try to think how people should be then led. A couple of comments. I think that uh, an interesting point you were mentioning now is that the trigger of the change and that I can feel related. Uh, my own experience is similar to what you what you said. And that for me, that the trigger point of why I decided to change my career, that I got that question many times, like how could you leave such a good position, one of mm. the best Spanish uh, companies. But I, I did this one exercise. I was reading the Stephen Covey's book. The seven habits. Yeah. And the first exercise uh, that he talks in the book is like he recommends to write down your own funeral speech. 
I don't know have you mm-hmm. have you tried that one? That was a, it's a really harsh one, but it did the trick for me. You did so, it, yeah. Done it twice already, and the whole thing is about writing your own. You know, you have to imagine that you are dead. Yeah. Basically, you're in the coffin, mm-hmm. and there are three people speaking on the altar, and there are three people you have to choose: one, a work peer, yeah, family member, and a friend. Mm. And then I choose one of them was my my little daughter, mm. and yeah. then uh, I started to write down what I wanted her. Mm. to remember about me and you know what she would be saying and Jesus <laughs> you know, I'm almost crying now just talking about the story that was an eye-opening experience yeah it was a hard exercise but then it really helped me to to understand what do I really want to do with my life and why yeah getting in connection with that deeper purpose that big why mm-hmm. that sometimes it's not something that you wake up in the mornings and you just get it you have yeah. to do some conscious work. So mm. uh, I like a lot the way you were describing also how you came in contact with a deeper purpose mm. behind the lawyer 1.0. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you more about uh, the second thing that took my attention when you were describing a, a great place to work, because I noticed that this, uh, this sentence is still in your speech is also in health, you know, in the website. Yeah. I've seen that it's mentioned as well. So it's part of your, uh, of your mindset to put it in that way. Mm. Uh, if I have never heard about it and I'm stepping into an office that is actually living up to these standards, what would I see? I think that the most important issue in great places to work is that uh, you want to engage interesting and, and good people to your organization. And when, when you see then that, that, for example, Mark enters the building, naturally you should have some kind of an idea what he would be then starting to do. But then you would be then creating the role based on his strengths and weaknesses and his professional abilities and mm-hmm. so on. The roles could be really different as compared to the traditional ones. Even though then Mark would be a medical doctor, if he would be then also strong, uh, for example, a musician or something like that, he, he could be then active in those kind of tasks that could be then relating to this special skill. If we are thinking about this new approach, it also then means that we are treating all the, all the people really in an equal way. In a great place to work, the managing director doesn't have a fancier mobile phone or laptop computer or company car or better views from the windows of his working room as compared to the uh, a, some kind of some fresh recruit or so on. But all the people that they, they are really, I would say, it, as important players in the team. A great place to work would be operating in in a similar manner as a really good football team and how a really good football team would be operating would be that when they are playing on the field everybody knows their positions and so on and it's natural that in certain position you get to make more goals than the other ones and so on but then when the game is over and and, and you are going to the locker rooms then you're really equal there how I then would be describing the ideal CEO or, or managing director of a great place to work he would be like the captain of the football team. And if we think about an ideal captain for a football team, typically the captain, it's uh, his, his or she is not the most skillful player and or he or she doesn't make the, the highest highest number of goals in each game and so on. And also the captain is he or she is not then just by the field shouting to the players do do goals there and so on. But the captain's also part of the team playing there on the field. Uh, but then uh, finally, the captain must be a person uh, who is then respected by the other players. And then 
if there are then uh, issues where the the team needs to re- be represented, then the, the other players trust the captain that she or he is the best person to do, to do that. In this way, I would be then describing what would be then a great place to work, in my opinion. I like that, especially when you're putting as well a responsibility on the leadership, not being a boss mm. or about not telling people what to do, but becoming more of a catalyst for growth. You know, that's mm. the concept I call in my book, the growth agents, uh, to kind of go beyond the change agent concept. It's about evolving. It's about transformation. It's about new learnings. It's yeah. about respecting who you are now and thanking mm. all your achievements until now. And then I'm going to help you to get to the next level. And that's what I like what you're describing as a role of catalyst for these leaders, which also requires, if I understand right, that there's one very special skill that a lot of leaders have to learn. And it's like how to help nurturing those hidden talents of people, not just the, what you are good at. Because what I've noticed as well in my coaching practice is that some people have become good at something mm-hmm. and they are stuck. Yeah. They are drained of energy by doing that, but somehow they became really, really good at that. And it's one of the worst things that has happened to those people. So one of the main roles for the leadership API, I hear you right, it's as well to help people in the company to find out, to get in connection with their true talent. I totally agree. I think that traditionally there is a really a major misunderstanding about leadership. If you think about a leadership, I, I think that there are two different aspects that, that are mixed. Uh, first of all, uh, one is power. If I have power over you in, in some organization, in practice, it means that I could be then forcing you to do something that you would, wouldn't be wanting to do and so on. And I think that uh, that would be then the uh, really traditional and, and old fashioned way of thinking about leadership in Finnish. It would be called by this management by Perkele. <laughs> And in the early days, there, there may have been some leaders who, in fact, they haven't been leaders. They have been just managers uh, using that power skill over other people. But then the, the other aspects uh, would be then, as we call it here in health, is that the most important thing for a leader is to then to offer leadership services to the leader's team. We, we don't have leaders in in health we have coaches for the team but the idea is the same and then uh, what the leadership services would be then uh, it turns the ideology upside down because then in that even the team member would be then a leadership services customer the leader would be then the leadership service provider and it's a really different relationship as compared to the traditional power relationship and so on. And there there I really agree what you are then saying that what is then the leader's most important task in leadership services, it's natural then to uh, support the customer, but then in, in addition to really help the person grow professionally in her or his role. And uh, what I think that if I, for example, think about our corporate culture here in healthy, I, I think that we are really good in giving positive feedback. Uh, as you know, 
typically it's so that you, you never give it enough. It, it should be always given more and, and, and more often and so on. But for example, in our Slack, we have uh, different channels that successes of the day and embrace your colleague and so on where people they on, on a daily basis they are writing about the successes of their colleagues and so on and and then you get these emojis these hearts and thumbs and for those it's a really na- a nice way of giving a public positive feedback but then i think that the trickier part of then providing this leadership or coaching services is, is then really to help people grow and you do not you cannot do that uh, then just by giving positive feedback uh, but then you should also be then able to then uh, in in a gentle ma- manner then correcting errors and and then uh, giving feedback about then how could we succeed in this kind of uh, this kind of operation better at next time and what you could have been then doing better in, in the meeting with the prospective customer and so on uh, we are trying to get better each day in, in that but that, that's a struggle for us i think that in uh, for also for really many other workplaces well, I was working a few years ago in a, I was working three years in a project with some Chinese companies. I recall this one manager that told me, look, Mark, if you want one year of prosperity, mm-hmm. plant seeds. Yeah. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. If you want 100 years of prosperity, you have to grow people. Yeah. From the point of view is that where this growth happens, and that's some misunderstanding I've seen as well. Yes, performance can be better and the bottom line will be impacted, but the true growth, it's a bit like with bamboos. The growth doesn't happen when you see the bamboo growing, it's the roots. And that's a big misunderstanding for many, many companies that I notice is that they worry about making that tree very tall, big, with a lot of leaves and having this massive tree that you can see. But the problem with the massive tree is that if it has very weak roots, when it's a bit windy, yeah. When there's some challenges outside, mm. what's going to happen to that tree? That's a good way to picture it. So let me ask you on that direction. It doesn't seem to be a project to undertake. It doesn't seem to be something that you start today and you finish in mm. three months. It is something that is just an ongoing process. If I understand you right, correct? Yes, totally agree about that. It just continues all the time. And then uh, I think that also one of the difficult issues is that, for example, if you think about them growing roots and so on, yeah. they, they grow quite slowly. And then if you would be then watching those on a daily basis, you, you couldn't be then seeing the change at all. But then you should be having a longer perspective and then compare the situation as, as compared to half year ago and so on. When you are then trying to make this uh, slower uh, development in people and so on, it can also then feel really difficult to notice on a daily basis as compared to the previous day and so on. You shouldn't then become frustrated about that and think that it's of no point or something like that. You should be able then to think about longer perspectives. Every now and then there are some kind of defining moments when you really get some kind of new skill or insight or, or something like that. When, when you learn to ride a bicycle or something like that, it, it doesn't come slowly. It just happens in certain day. But typically in, in working life, the changes, they are much slower. Let me ask you a bit more about healthy, because uh, one of the things that surprised me was right away when I came in today to meet you. It's, I wasn't sure, was I, was I going into a, into a healthcare center or was I going into an office? Because it was not the kind of typical 
place I have been before, for example, when I had to take a blood test. Mm. Right, the way you welcome me, the way I was offered a nice uh, coffee at the at the reception. What would you say that are the main values and philosophy behind Healthy that creates this kind of a special experience? My own career path continued in, in such manner that Fondia was then growing nicely. It didn't need me anymore in that manner. I was then thinking that what could be then my next step in working life, what what could be then meaningful. I was then thinking about different options then to uh, find a, a new project. What I thought that had been the best time of my working life were really the, the years of, of rapid growth. Uh, before that, when first nobody knew you and, and then you start growing and then the market started noticing you and then the atmosphere and the spirit in that kind of growing team, it's really great. And I thought that how could I be then living it again? But then it took me a, a few moments of insight. First of all, uh, it was one of uh, one of moment of insight where I realized that in the event that there is not that kind of project that exists in the market, maybe I could be then starting one. And then the the next moment of insight that I really remember as yesterday at the moment was then around a bit more than seven years ago. It was the Finnish Independence Day weekend on Skiing Cottage. I thought that what I really like is really to challenge traditional industries. What I believe I'm good at in is, is professional services organizations. What I really want to do as well is to uh, build great places to work. And I started uh, thinking that what could be a guy be thinking if his great grandfather was a doctor and both grandparents were doctors and both parents are doctors. And, and, and if the guy is like the black sheep of the family, being then a lawyer and, and a businessman, it was then really self-evident for me after that it would be the healthcare market. And as I looked the market at that time, everybody of us has some kind of experience about visiting a doctor. And I thought that they were really uh, designed in quite a boring way and they didn't differentiate from each other in any way. And then the idea was that uh, what would happen if somebody, somebody would then establish a new, uh, like a younger generation, a health services company to the market and start challenging them. It felt really, really like an actionable idea that night. And as it still did uh, after then sleeping the night and waking up that, that next morning, then uh, right away, then opening laptops, start, start then Googling and uh, get information about the market and so on. So th that was really the original idea to try to bring new kind of working culture and then new kind of or then uh, a customer experience to these traditional markets. The most annoy annoying issue in, in the services in our sector, uh, well, the customer's experience was the fact that by then quoting one HR manager I was discussing with, he said, said that Timo, it's so that this occupational healthcare service, they're like a black hole. You shovel money to that black hole and then you never know how it was used. And then that led the uh, customers having a feeling that they have no impact at all in the invoices they are having and so on. And then it was uh, in one discussion, 
there was a person who was then asking me that, Timo, have you ever heard about the story about the ancient Chinese doctors in the ancient Chinese villages? Natural also than the village people, they paying for their doctors, but not based on the number of appointments or procedures as we pay nowadays. It, it was so that all the healthy people in the village paid. The idea being that then the more healthy people there were, the better off the doctor was then as well. And in the event that some somebody was sick, the doctor knew that there would not be any payments coming from that direction until the person was healthy again. And then we uh, really had this idea that we have the we then lost this uh, ancient business concept in in these years, and why are we operating in a different way that in business was encourages just uh, treatment of sicknesses and no prevention at all. That really then uh, gave the birth to the business logic of healthy that still is uh, exists today. The the idea is that. We don't make any money out of treatment sicknesses, but we are the best off if our members who then pay a fixed monthly fees, if they stay healthy. And then in order for them to stay healthy, we have then the incentive to provide services to them so that they are healthy. So this really changed the way of entire thinking in this kind of operation as compared to the traditional one. What you measure is what you get. That sounds really interesting. Can you tell me a bit more about the business model? Yeah, the way this industry or these services work in Finland is so that uh, all the companies who have employees, they have a statutory obligation to provide occupational health care to their employees. And then the traditional business model of providing that is that uh, you pay some kind of uh, basic fee for all the employees. It's typically really low. But then the actual business is then uh, such that every time that somebody is sick or needs a doctor uh, or research appointment or something like that, it's a fee-for-service business model. So then the doctor would be then charging this 150 or 200 euros per appointment and then sending the bill to the employer. The, the more people would be using the uh, sickness treatment services or medical care services, the higher the bill would be for that month. That would be the classical way of operating. In healthy, uh, we have then designed our business in an opposite way. It's so that we are then charging fixed monthly fee for each person who is, who is then covered by our services. For, so in practice for the employees of our customer companies, it's in the range of 50 euros per month typically. And then for that fixed monthly fee, we then promise, first of all, to provide services for the health, healthy people. It's in, in, in line with our incentives. In addition to take care of the occupational health care and then also uh, provide medical care. And th- there are two major amendments that, that then take place in, in this new kind of business model as compared to the traditional ones. First of all, this really brings us the motivation to keep people healthy. And as we said, say that we care about you even though you're healthy. And then the other one is then that it's in our motivation to provide the medical care services in as efficient way as possible. This has then led to a situation where in practice uh, 75% of all the doctors and nurses visits and so on, they are made made nowadays remotely, uh, either by then 
just chatting with us or then with video or then just uh, with traditional telephone calls. Typically, it's not necessary to go to the same room with the doctor anymore. It's like then, like you're using other services nowadays, for example, in banking, when you have day-to-day needs and you want to pay bills and so on, you, you don't go to a bank anymore for that. But then if something special comes up, then you really need, uh, want to meet the person. And the, the same is happening then now also in healthcare markets. That's extremely interesting, especially when you were mentioning the role of uh, prevention actions mm-hmm. as well. So it's not just the occupational health care and what can you do when the person is uh, getting sick, but at the same time, what can you do with those that are already healthy, mm-hmm. either to prevent or even to reinforce their health. Yeah. And one topic that we we're discussing before we started the interview, which was uh, related to burnouts, ex- stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. work-related items and what is the impact that that is having in companies? What is the take in healthy on those uh, on those dimensions? We're focusing our services to knowledge workers, so people like you or me, uh, who are then working with our brains, and then mainly by then uh, reading or writing or then speaking or hearing. If we think about the uh, new kinds of occupational health challenges for people like you or me, it's not about Uh, anymore about chemicals or dust or noise or some kind of unhealthy environments. It's not about the ergonomics about the chair you are sitting at the moment or whether whether we have the best possible light in in this room at the moment. It's more like mental issues then. We are then really uh, interested about the, uh, how would you say, the, the mental design of, of working dis- working days, in which way your working day should be designed so that uh, you would be then having separate time and uh, probably also separate places for taking care of your communications and, and your messages and so on, like those which are then for short time span and so on, that don't need that kind of concentration, not be then interrupted by your colleagues or then by different kind of applications and also not by yourself. That That is then more and more common at the moment. Uh, what we believe and what we have also testified here is that the occupational health challenges, they are more and more mental nowadays as we are more and more than doing mental work. What we see here also then is that, for example, here employing healthy as, as much psychologists as medical doctors, a major shift can be seen in, in those kind of services that are necessary for then keeping uh, knowledge workers in good shape for doing their work and feeling good. In our services, you would be then first contacting a nurse, then the nurse would be asking you a few questions about then trying to find out your situation and then the nurse's uh, duty would then be, be to find to you the best possible professional for then taking your situation forward and most probably in, in this kind of situation it wouldn't be a doctor it would be a psychologist and then the discussion would not start in in a medical way so what kind of medicine could we then be prescribing you, to you so that you could be sleeping better? But it, it would be then starting about how have you designed your daytime and especially how, how have you designed your evenings? Are you acting in, in such manner that you could be then promoting your sleep during day and evenings? As they say that the next night's sleep is built during the, the day before. 
Do you believe that at the moment is there enough attention in workplaces on burnout prevention and this kind of uh, mental challenges? Traditionally, there hasn't been. And at the moment, the statistics they show to us at the moment that burnouts or depression, they are already the most common reason for inability to work. So it's really a huge problem. Typically, it, it's uh, been seen so that, uh, Mark, if you are now then feeling that there might be a burnout or something, you should be then concentrating on your sleep and then on your exercise and then uh, on what you eat. And as they say that uh, we, we knowledge workers, we should be then building our occupational health outside the business hours. It's uh, it's the result of the choices, choices what we make when, when we are not working. But I would say that uh, much more focus should be then be paid to then what happens during the working time, how the companies are structured and then what kind of support services or leadership you would be then enjoying. And then how the workplaces could be then changed so that they would be less stressful and then they would be uh, more employee friendly and so that also in a systematical way the structures in the workplace would be then preventing the burnouts. I think it's a very good topic and uh, it touches I think close to a lot of more and more young people when you look at the data. Mm. That is coming out one of the main issues in Finland and as well in Sweden, it was in a BBC documentary a while ago, is the heavy increase of burnouts among people under 25, mm. which is something unseen until now, that people yeah. under 25 are suffering of burnout mm. in nowadays environments, which is pointing at there is something that has to be changed. Yeah. And I would say that also the uh, traditional way of thinking these issues would be that oh, he, he got a burnout, but he was a bit weak and, and so on. So uh, and that stigma. The, yeah, people would be the thinking that it, it was just the person's own problem. And then there would be stronger people who, who would be then suffering the same as well. They would be then uh, continue doing overnighters at, at workplace and so on, because they would be strong and, and successful and so on. But I, I like that, I like the change that I see at the moment is that if we, for example, think about uh, professional athletes who are really strong and who have the best performance uh, among us uh, as people and so on, and people know that uh, it would be possible to get any one of those breaking down if the athlete would be training too much and if there would be no recovery time and so on. It's not a question of strength. It's a question of, of the variance between uh, the exercise and recovery. And the same idea is, uh, I'm seeing that it's, it's coming also to workplaces that, that people are understanding that, that burnout, is, it's, it's not only a mental state, it's also the physical changes are happening when you are burnout. You're really your brains are, are burning out in, in that issue. And it, it's a question of not of your strength. It's, it's a question of whether you have had the time to recover uh, every now and then as the professional athletes do, if they want to perform better. And that's why then we should be then investing more in recovery in the working environment during the working time. But then I would say that also in our private time, it's, it's also one aspect that now maybe nowadays we like to pack also our leisure time a bit too much. 
with with different kinds of stimulants and and things. Let's talk a bit more about the area of performance. What would you say to an executive that uh, told you, okay, very nice, it sounds great to care about uh, human beings, but uh, what is the bottom line impact? What would you tell them? I would say that in the scientific research and and the papers that have been written uh, in uh, numerous different places, they they all agree that uh, there would be also then economical benefits uh, then in treating people well and then avoiding burnouts. There are different kinds of, of studies, uh, but one that I remember by heart for, at the moment is that if you invest one year in, in, in your employees' well-being, you'd be then receiving six euros back in better profits. But I would then maybe make one point about this if you think about then traditional workers, for example, people who worked in mines or on the fields, farmers or so on. If there was an efficient worker and, and there was less efficient worker working at the farm, it might have been so that the efficient worker was maybe two times as effective as, as the uh, maybe a bit lazier one or less effective one. But then the, in the modern uh, knowledge work, if we think about these changes, they're just tremendous. It's one quote from Bill Gates, who has then stated that one software de- developer might be 10,000 times as effective as her colleague. The traditional way about then thinking about investments in well-being and health would be so that let's see what is our sickness leave rate this year. and whether we are then able to get it down so that our employees would be two more days at the office and not at home in flu and so on and let's calculate the economical benefit out of that but were the actual economic economic benefits they're coming in that way that when you are in work if you are in good shape and if you're feeling well you're just much more productive during your working days. I 100% agree. It's not only the, the side of being more productive, but it's also helping the person to get the best. You know, when we mix both things, what you were saying before about the, the role as a, of the boss as a coach, mm. as a mentor. And at the same time, having environments that allow, because, you know, to have a tree to grow healthy, you also need the soil. Yeah. Right? So you need to take care of the soil. Yeah. So if the employee would be that forest of beautiful trees, mm. then the soil is what you're referring now about. So mm. how do we take care as well of the land, of yeah. the soil, so the tree can, can grow? Because it mm. doesn't matter how great and beautiful the tree is, if we are, we are in a dry land or mm. rock land, yeah. good luck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you can hire a great, uh, great team of people, but if the soil is not well prepared, then nothing will happen either. And I would say that thinking about then, uh, working cultures and a great place to work, work and so on. First of all, it's been like an ideological choice for me to be active in building those kind of organizations like then Healthier Fondia. But then in addition, it's not only about the ideology, it's, it's also business. Uh, what I've seen then and what I've been testifying that it's it's really good business also to treat people in a good manner. It's easier to recruit new ones. The persons who are working in the organization, they stay longer. And uh, as long as they stay, then the more productive typically they, they are getting as well. And if you then also are then providing with good coaching services, then, then you are able to also grow the people. 
And then I would say that not least importantly, as, as a byproduct, you then also get a really good place to work for yourself as well. It's, it's more fun to then use your own days in work environment where you are then enjoying. Allow me to make you a tricky question, because mm. I believe the secret of change on the whole system, yes, how companies develop cultures, it's very important. But let's talk about what, for my opinion, it is the true center of the whole transformation, and it's like shareholders and boards. Mm. Uh, what needs to happen so shareholders and boards put these topics as a main principle to invest and mm. choose where to focus their resources and efforts, and basically to demand mm. to the companies to focus on those things. Now you raise a real important topic on the table I think and I also have different kind of experiences about this kind of maybe contradictions and I've been then testifying situations where they have been uh, like an operative organization and CEO who would be then uh, more like than thinking in a modern way and trusting people and wanting to be a built till organization without a typical traditional uh, KPIs and so on. Uh, when we think about then uh, building really successful boards, first of all, uh, I'm happy that companies have already wakened to the situation that it's not wise to build the board only of your own shareholders or your own organization members. So you should have also then external persons there. And then uh, another issue that is really nice, uh, a, a good development in, in my opinion, that uh, diversity is taken more and more into consideration when building boards. So there are people from different professional backgrounds and different ages and different sexes and maybe then different uh, nationalities and so on. I think that's uh, one issue that should then be covered more also in discussion is the values of the board members. And like then here in Healthy, we have four values. They are lempy, like love. The idea is that as we are then taking care of people, we should be then doing that in, in a warm way. We have hehku, it's like glow. It's a way of positive thinking and being having the right to be a bit playful as a company and so on. And then the, the third one would be then Tarmo, it's like uh, energy, then to really get things done, which is really important uh, when you're doing uh, issues in a new way, where you cannot copy the traditional manners. And then the last one is then pokka, it's like having guts to also then do issues, although not all the time everybody would be then liking those. Those are our four values. And then uh, I would say that still also our approach to people being, meaning equal treatment and trust in persons and, and so on and no hierarchies. But when, when we built our, our own board here in Healthy, we then also wished to ensure that the board members who are all external nowadays, they are sharing the same kind of thinking as we have here. And uh, after having securing that, it, it has been working really well. I would uh, then take also the, this discussion even one step further uh, about then the shareholding structures and so on, because I think that also those should be in line with the culture in the company. As then, uh, having said, uh, we believe in equality between people and trust and so on. And this has then led us thinking that we have then wanted to open shareholding 
all to those our team members who have been interested about that and in practice then around 40 out of our 60 healthians nowadays are also shareholders in healthy it's really a strong message to everybody that it's not only only a venture of the management it's this is really our common we, we own this company together it's it's our common task to take this forward and then also in choosing the investors we have then also want, wanted to take these issues into consideration our two most important in, uh, investors being then uh, Risto Silasma, uh, a really reputable super angel here in Finland, having a background as, as an entrepreneur himself. And then the Paulik family, a famous Finnish industrial family, having also been entrepreneurs for, for a really long time. And we found that there we can then be finding uh, a really support for growing the company. And we're not that interested then, on the other hand, of, of, of for example, foreign venture capital funds and so on, who we thought that could have been bringing contradictions to our values. One of my core speeches is called From Winemaking to Honey Making. Mm. Most of the investors I'm finding at the moment, they are into the winemaking business. Why I say that is because you put a lot of money and it's a labor, labor intense. You create this wine and you wait a few years and you expect that the curve is going to go up. Yeah. You will make the, the highest profit as possible. Mm. And then you will try to distribute the wine, drink it yourself maybe, yeah. but then make, make some money. The problem with that is that after one year, two years, that wine starts to lose the quality. And after X amount of years, the wine is spoiled. Yeah. Having said that, when you change into uh, honey making, first of all, it's a bit more economical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the whole business, uh, you need to start to nurture bees. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the metaphor now, but it's very similar to nurturing people. But then at the same time, I don't know if you know that you could open today a pot of honey, mm -hmm. 3000 years old, and it would still taste the same. Oh, It doesn't go off. So when you create good, not the honey you buy in the supermarket, but the true honey, mm. it lasts for thousands of years. Oh. Which means that when you are creating good honey, that lasts almost forever. And that's how I see as well that investments should have the mentality of a, a honey maker. Because what you look at is at this long, long, long perspective. Like yeah. Think about how cool would it be that the sons of your sons of your sons of your sons would be able to open a honey pot that you have been making. I, I like that creating, story. Creating that flavor. And yeah. companies for me would be my dream that they had the same type of mentality. What would happen if five, six, ten generations from now, they could say like, okay, my grand, 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 grandpa actually created, was part of creating this, uh, this story. So uh, that's that would one, be of great. My, one of my dreams that investors right away would think carefully, what, where do I put my money? Am I putting my money into wine making or into honey making? Mm. Because for me, that is the secret of changing. So when you go to the supermarket, at the end of the day, what the consumer demands, what the consumer buys is what the supermarket will end up selling mm -hmm. or having in their shelves. Yeah. And I believe that when the investors and shareholders will start to demand for more value-driven companies and this kind of long-term impact, then companies will start totally changing together with the culture mm -hmm. and how leadership is taking place. Uh, to go to the end of the interview, Timo, let me ask you something more personal, if I'm allowed. I'm sure that through your journey of exploration, growth and success, you have been also facing some struggles. Uh, you know, it's part of the path of being an entrepreneur and especially when you have a high level of, amb of ambition mm -hmm. as you are having. 
how we solve those situations, I think that has uh, to do more with our mindset than with actual skills we possess to solve problems, as we can always learn new skills, right? Or ask for help. So that's the easy part to learn skills or ask for help, I think. But uh, both our attitude towards the challenge and our mindset will make the, the true difference. What's your experience in that dimension when we think about your personal struggles and your attitude towards them? Uh, yeah, you, you are right. There have been a number of struggles in my path as, as an entrepreneur. And I, I think that a few uh, ways of thinking have been really important for myself. First of all, I think that the struggles uh, from a company towards the outside world, they are easier because then you have the team. And especially if, if you're in a challenger company, it's, it's typical that you have to struggle in order to change the ways. Uh, but then uh, on the other hand, I, I think that uh, the most awful struggles I've been experiencing are, are typically such that they, they are inside the team. Those are that kind of struggles that nobody of us likes, I, I think. What I've learned about those is that when you notice that there might be something cooking up slowly, uh, although it's awful to uh, try and start settling them, it's you should be doing that in an early phase as possible. Because then as tempting it would be just not to react, uh, then the problems, they typically they don't go away, they, they just grow bigger. So that would be first there. And then uh, about outside struggles and different problems that you are facing when, when you are building companies, then I think that it, it really helps that you, you have your colleagues to then speak with. Uh, if you think that they are not just your personal struggles, but they are struggles of a team, it's, it's really much easier than to carry them uh, with you. But then again, I think that in taking a good approach to struggles is that I try to remember that in, in fact, my work is try to solve struggles. And it's just natural that, that, that there are always some struggles, a, a part of them, they are smaller and then they are a few more major ones. And you should stop dreaming about then a situation where there wouldn't be anything like that going on. Some dissatisfied uh, corporation partner or customer or employee or something like that, or some threatening issue in the marketplace. You should be then having that kind of mindset that it's the normal state that you have those issues you should be then taking care of. I would say that, that finally, still what's been then important for myself is that although I've been living more than 10 years that life that uh, I don't have that much separation between my, my working time and, and my leisure time. I'm all the time the same team of being the entrepreneur and then also a dad and family member, member and so on. Uh, although that my working time and leisure time, they're quite mixed. I then built the ability also then to uh, the, the ability of, of not thinking about work issues all the time. And then if I think what's finally uh, important in life is then uh, being happy with the loved ones. And uh, then if you think that uh, when you have business struggle, what, what would be then the worst possible outcome out of that, it might be then for example, bankruptcy of the company or something like that. And then if you think uh, also through that, what would happen then? You, you would be then 
losing the workplace and, and you would be then losing a company as well. You would be then taking some kind of, of economical hits. But after all, life would be going on and people would be probably still healthy and you would be then uh, have just to think uh, new things to do in your working life and so on. I think that this concept of thinking all the time what could be the worst possible outcome of this and then think then think how would it be then like to live in that kind of situation then finding out that you would be still surviving it helps then putting the struggles to the correct perspective what would you say that has been the biggest personal struggle that has helped you on your growth journey the one that you said okay this really it was really hard at the moment it was painful to go through it but thanks to that i became who am i today this is a really tough question let me think about that uh, I, i would say that maybe the defining moment in that way has been uh, really the uh, birth of healthy and the entry into a really a new uh, new business that, that I didn't know at that time at all uh, as come to the legal business that, that I knew uh, and then uh, starting really from cr- scratch and then uh, right at the beginning when when we also then noticed that in, in order to operate in this business you will be then need, needing a a specialist doctor in occupational health care and we knew uh, nobody of that professional expertise and so on we found out that then in order to be able even to start operating you should be then having that kind of person and then contacting uh, really just by cold calling those different persons try, trying to persuade people who had uh, who had then good working places and so on to join this kind of startup and then i would say that doctors they are not known as as the uh, greatest risk takers in their professional lives maybe that's part of their education and that's good having then uh, no thank yous in a really uh, a great number of people and then seeing that this is an issue that really needs to be solved and then finally then finding a person who was then courageous enough to start this kind of venture on the side of, of his day job then and then uh, having the services set up. I think that it was a great experience and the reward came then on the day when we opened the operations. It was the 3rd of February in 2014 when the first person then contacted and really came and was was then uh, getting help from healthy that was maybe a bit less than one year's process and all the time th- there was the big risk that you really have to stop uh, altogether the plan there because you don't find the correct person then finding it and then seeing the operation started that was maybe that kind of experience that after that i thought that it's everything will be possible you just have to be persistent enough to go on and contact people although you don't know them and try to sell the idea and the more you do it the more probable it it will then become that you will be successing that's a good way to define the growth mindset where your attitude is not to see the challenge as something you don't have the solution but just to see it as what can i learn what do i have to do or what What kind of help do I need from others in order to solve this? Where can I find inspiration from other people that has been successful here? And what else do I need to learn 
in order to create that vision that I want to reach at the end of the day. So I think it was a good way to put how a struggle can turn into a big opportunity, not just for business, but as well for personal growth. I'm sure you have learned a lot yourself also about who you, who you are and what are you made of at the end of the day, right? Yes, that's been a, a really interesting lesson. Which insights do you think it has been bringing to you? I would say that hopping out from the large law office then in my earlier days gave to myself confidence that uh, I can then also be successful without any large organizations. And also uh, by meaning successful, I, I don't mean just now business, but uh, happiness in life and so on. It uh, gave me a feeling of freedom and then feeling of self-confidence. So the feeling that life can be good, although you would be part of something that has been designed already when you enter the organization. In addition, I would say that it's been a really interesting lesson to transform out from a, a specialist legal counsel, then doing a really a defined role and where people, they know they're quite a good picture about what a attorney of law legal counsel would be doing to then an entrepreneur who is acting in different kind of issues. And then also uh, one lesson has been that you can prepare in schools or universities for different issues that then are coming towards you in, in working life. Uh, I would say that one really good lesson for myself has also been also to be, I would say that gentle towards yourself about uh, the outcome of your work and understanding that not every time you can achieve the best possible result, but you should be then happy with the sufficiently good results of, of your work. Freedom, self-confidence, and I can also hear a level of uh, fulfillment into the whole process. So Timo, it's been great to spend this time with you. Thank you very much for Thanks, taking the time to answer all the difficult questions and some others were a bit more simple. I think it's gonna add a lot of value to those who are listening to us and are reading about your case and hopefully will inspire as well to those that don't dare to make the transition that change from their careers and they can see how even a lawyer <laughs> is capable to make that jump into something that he truly believes in and especially looking at the long-term impact. So thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. Thanks, Mark. So that was all for today. And thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye.